Church, would you pray with me and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for the many good opportunities that we have individually and as a church for the good one that we're going to have today. We pray that you help us to do something good with it. In your name, amen. One of the uh, quirky things about my personality is that I am always very hesitant to tell people when I, where I'm going when I travel. And to me, it's very similar to when I was pregnant with my children. As soon as people found out that I was pregnant, they felt this incredibly um, huge compulsion to share with me every story that they had ever had about being pregnant or if they knew somebody who'd been pregnant or, or what pregnancy was going to be like. And I think we do that with travel as well. We tell somebody that we're going somewhere and, and then completely unsolicited, they share with us all of their travel adventures related to where we want to go. And so um, to me, I have found that to be such an annoying thing that now what I do is I make a mental note of where people tell me to go, and I go and I do the exact opposite. Um, which is exactly why I wanted to get some of my plans more firmly in place before I could share with you a little bit about what I plan on doing on my upcoming sabbatical. In May, I, I'm going to fly over to the Czech Republic, and I'm going over there to meet some representatives from the Evangelical Church of the Czech Brethren. So these, this is our partner denomination in that part of the world. The Czech Republic is considered to be one of the most atheist nations on the face of the earth, and so I'm very curious to see what church looks like over there. One of the things that I learned the last time that I was there is that religion in general is very much shaped by the government and was very heavily influenced by the rise and fall of communism. So much so that the place that I am most anxious to see is a church that worships together every single week in an old nuclear bunker. I'm excited to see it and I'm excited to worship there because What's interesting to me about it is that this is a church family that made the conscientious decision to take a facility that was built out of fear and turn it into a place of hope, which to me is really what churches in general all over the world should be doing. But that kind of work there is very appropriate for their context. Just because they happen to have a vacant nuclear bunker in Prague does not mean that we should build one here just so that we can say our church worships in a bunker. Really, what all churches have to do is take a serious look around them and decide how can we be of the most maximum potential use to God right where we are. So this morning, we're going to run into a guy named Nehemiah. And if you were part of our church almost 10 years ago, you would know that we studied the entire book of Nehemiah because that's where our church was at that point. We were trying to build and rebuild, and we needed some guidance on how to do that. So this morning, we're going to check in with him again and remind ourselves of what we need to be doing as we go forward. So Nehemiah is trying to get a handle on where he is and what has happened around him. He was a Jew, and like so many Jews of his time, he was in exile. 
The city that he had come from was Jerusalem. It had been destroyed. So he's currently in a place called Susa, where he has found a job. And his job is to be a cupbearer to the king. So essentially, he is a waiter for a party of one. His brother comes to visit him, and Nehemiah asks him, hey, what's going on in our hometown, Jerusalem? The news is not good. There is nothing going on. There is nothing to report. It is all bad. But here's the thing that's so crazy about this. It's not new news. In fact, Jerusalem had been in ruins for 141 years by the time that Nehemiah has this conversation with his brother. Nothing's new here. And that's important for us to think about at the start of a new year. In most cases, there's very little that's new, that's truly new. Recently, Manatee County Schools announced that they're going to build an entirely new Sug Middle School, which is less than a quarter mile from this church right down on 59th Street. On one hand, that's new and exciting news. On the other hand, anyone who has been anywhere near 59th Street any point in the last 20 years would know this is a long time coming. Houses don't just fall into disrepair overnight. Paint doesn't fade in a week. Relationships aren't built or destroyed in a single hour. But nonetheless, the news that Nehemiah received is 141 years old, and nobody has done anything. And so while that's not new news to Nehemiah, it is the first time that he has heard it with an open heart towards what God is doing. So in that moment, Nehemiah feels this call, this compulsion, this drive to get back to Jerusalem and do something in the city. It's kind of a New Year's resolution moment, if you will. But it's also part of our journey as followers of Christ. The invitation that, that we have to be in relationship with Jesus, that was extended to us from the moment that we came into being. And each of us gets to come to know Christ in our own way on a timetable that is not necessarily the same timetable as the person sitting next to you. But for those that follow Jesus, there is a moment, there is a moment, a Holy Spirit moment that opens our eyes and our hearts to receive him. And when that happens, we are compelled to action. So Nehemiah knows that he has to do something but he doesn't know what. So what do you do when you know that you've got to do something, but you're not sure what it is? You pray. So Nehemiah starts praying, and, and we have to be really clear about this. This is not some passing prayer. This is not a real quickie that you just send off. This was a lengthy prayer. In fact, there were four months of prayer before he even took the first initial step. And we're on step three today with him. So it's not just a rush job or a passing thought. This is an all-in, open-heart prayer that was not just a, okay, God, what do I do now prayer. It is a reckoning with himself. So you can read this entire prayer at the beginning of Nehemiah, but the Cliff Notes version is this. Nehemiah says to God, I'm here, I'm sorry, 
and I'm ready to serve. So think about that like your New Year's resolutions. I'm here now. Totally screwed up last year's resolution and the year before that and the 15 years prior to that, but I'm here now. I'm ready to do this. Let's go. Maybe that's even where you are with Jesus. You're here now. You haven't done such a great job with it in the past, but today you are ready to move forward. But the question is, move forward to what? Where are you going with this? A long, 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 long time ago, before there was GPS, there were these little paper things called maps. <laughs> and people would use them to get from place to place. But here's the craziest thing about a map. You have to know where you're starting from. And if you don't know where you're starting from, it doesn't matter where you're going because you're not gonna figure out how to get there. This morning, this morning, Nehemiah has made his way back to Jerusalem. He has a general idea that it's going to be a total mess and, and that he's, he wants to get the city restored and ready to love and serve the Lord again, which is a great goal. That's a fantastic goal. But he needs to know what he's starting with. So he records this part of the story for us. It's like those journal entries that Darcy's talking about. He says, so I came to Jerusalem and I was there for three days. Then I got up during the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal that I took was the animal that I rode. Now listen to what he does here. He went out by night by the valley gate, past the dragon's spring into the dung gate, and he inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. He's in the dark doing this. So how do you do that? How, how do you inspect something that you can't see? He's having to feel his way around the city. He is touching every inch of where he is. Then I went to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no place for the animal I was riding to continue. So I went up by way of the valley by night and I inspected the wall. And then I turned back and I entered the valley gate and so I returned. So he is doing all of this over a period of time. This is, this is taking some time and effort. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest that were to do the work. Isn't that frustrating sometimes? So you know that something big's coming, but you haven't been clued into it yet because somebody else has to get that work done first. Everyone, everyone knew that Nehemiah was going to do something big, but he felt like he was called to do something really big, actually something that God had put on his heart to do, and nobody knows what his plans are. And the reason that nobody knew what the plans were is that although Nehemiah knew that something had to be done, he didn't know what it was until he could actually get out there, see it, and research it for himself. It was the great theologian, Mr. Tom Petty, who said that the waiting is the hardest part, right? And that's so true, isn't it? Because there's this big idea and there's momentum and there's energy around a big idea, but the distance between the big idea and the grand reality is pretty far and it involves some serious amounts of waiting, or at least what would have felt like waiting to everybody except for Nehemiah, who is out there behind the scenes doing all this groundwork 
so that he can give everybody a much more comprehensive plan than just a, hey, let's rebuild the city. Nehemiah goes through every inch of the city. He looks at walls, he looks at infrastructure, at gates, at pools, and that takes some time. And part of that time would have been spent reckoning with his history. How did these gates get destroyed? Why were the walls burned? Nehemiah knows the basic answers, but to come face to face with it, to go and touch these burnt walls, to understand what has happened. Nehemiah needed to do that so that God could lead him into the future with plans that made sense, that weren't just whims, but were moving in a direction of restoration and hope. What Nehemiah did, that wasn't easy for him personally or for the people who would work with him and benefit from his plans because he had to wrestle with the past and know that the future belonged to God. Now, there's another church that I'm going to go visit again in the Czech Republic. In fact, next to Kirkwood, it is my most favorite church on earth. The last time I was there, it took me six hours to find it because you cannot drive to it. You have to walk to it. It is called the Carpathian Ruthenian Church of St. Michael the Archangel. And it is a teeny, tiny, little church, there it is, that is slightly removed from the shadows of Prague's St. Vitus Cathedral. Now, St. Vitus is the cathedral that as soon as you tell somebody you're going to Prague, that's when they unload on you. Oh, you have to go to St. Vitus. You've got to go. But you know what? You also have to pay to go to St. Vitus. It's a tourist attraction. St. Michael's is open to everyone. The history of St. Michael's is very interesting. As you see, it's a very small wooden church. It was disassembled piece by piece and brought to Prague in 1929 from the border of the Slovak-Hungarian-Ukrainian border at the end of World War I. The church is practically hidden in Kinsky Gardens, which is a very small part of the much larger Petron Hill. If you did not know that it was there, if you were not looking for it, you would not find it in a million years. Even when I mentioned it to a friend of mine who has lived in Prague his entire life, he had never heard of it. But when I finally found it, I was more surprised than I ever anticipated. Because this tiny one-room church that nobody of any importance seems to know about has actually become a haven for the lost in Central Europe. The architecture of the church allows for shelter under the eaves. You can see that in the picture. And many a wayward soul finds respite in and around the church. If you were to able to look under the eaves, you would see that there are bedrolls and clothing and signs of life that happen all around this church all week long. The many do not know that it is there, but the lost are drawn to it in hope. Now you have this beautiful church, a beautiful church that was created with an excruciating amount of pain and time to relocate. And the purpose was to appreciate the heritage of the architecture when it was relocated to Kinsky Gardens. But now this little tiny congregation, and there is a worshiping congregation there, 
in 2015, now 2020, they have opened up their church as a haven for the lost. They have transformed themselves from what they were into what is God calling them to be. And all who get there find themselves in a place of welcome and love. When you see the intricacy of the details in this church, it is hard to imagine. It is hard to imagine that every piece of it had to be deconstructed and reconstructed to relocate this building to begin with. Can you just imagine the logistics and forethought and time that have to go into an endeavor like that long before, way long before, anybody could find respite in the eaves? Today, our congregation is going to start our open houses. It's also seven days, approximately seven days, before the vast majority of people abandon their New Year's resolutions. <laughs> the reason that they do this is because they had the big idea, but they never bothered to take stock of what it was going on around them or how they were going to make this happen. I'm sure you've met somebody, their New Year's resolution is they're going to run a marathon, and they get confused, and they don't understand that that's that's 26 miles, not 26 feet. So they've never run before, and they, they get out there, and, and they get that first 26 feet, and they're like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was. I did not research. I did not plan for this. I did not prepare for this. And then they fail. They fail. So it takes some time. It takes some time to get to a place to be able to present a plan to move forward. You have to give God time to speak into that. Nehemiah did that, and so has our congregation. Nehemiah went out there, and he looked at every wall, every gate, every door. We did that too. Even if you didn't know it, we did it. It has a great fancy name to it. It's called a space utilization study, right? That just sounds fascinating, doesn't it? And do and you know what you do in a space utilization study? You scrutinize every inch of what you already have before you figure out if you need to do something different. But why would you need to do something different? Well, because your circumstances have changed. Nehemiah is 141 years past the destruction of Jerusalem. That Jerusalem no longer exists because the people who were a part of it are long gone. The relationship that the people had with God has changed in 141 years, and this new Jerusalem needs to reflect that reconciliation and that recommitment. When our main sanctuary was built almost 25 years ago, the church and the community were a very, very different place. In fact, churches all across the country we're very, very different than the church that is 2020. But now we find ourselves in a situation where parts of our church have grown rapidly. You're the part that has grown rapidly. Our kids, our teenagers, they are the part that has grown rapidly. And what's interesting about that is that every economic and development indicator in the community around us suggests that that type of growth is going to continue. A brand new middle school means that somebody has done the research and knows that we are going to have middle school age kids that need a place to go to middle school. 
And before they become middle schoolers, they're elementary schoolers. And before they're elementary schoolers, they're preschoolers. And before that, they're toddlers. So they exist. And they're coming. And then if you start going down Cortez Road, especially this part of West Bradenton, you'll notice that all of the businesses are doing renovations. They're doing facelifts. We have new businesses coming in. Why is that? It's not just some amazing coincidence. It's because they've looked around and they know that Lake Flores is under development, that Aqua by the Bay is under development, that we are looking at somewhere at 10,000 housing units within a mile of our church coming in. They have looked around. They see what's happening. And as much as it would be tempting for us to say, let's build it and they will come, that's not even our current situation. Our current reality is build it because we're already here. They're already here. We're out of space. But it's taken us two years to get to today. And that's where we catch up with Nehemiah. After he's gone and he's done all of the groundwork, then he says, he finally says to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. I then told them, he says, that the hand of God had been gracious upon me and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And then they said, let us start building. So they committed themselves to the common good. Nehemiah prayed. He did the groundwork. He prayed some more. He sought the leading of the Lord. And then and only then did he go and share his vision. Maybe we would do better with our New Year's resolutions after sharing them only after we have laid the foundation work for them to succeed. These two churches in Prague, they didn't start out with the ministries that they have today. They were built for entirely different purposes. But at some point, God led them to transformation and they have flourished in response. Here at Kirkwood, you have elders and you have a vision team that has prayed and worked and prayed and worked and prayed and worked some more for the last two years and you have waited so patiently, so patiently. We have sought the leading of the Lord and today we're gonna share that vision with the Congregational Open House. And what we're hoping is that you will join us in saying, let us start building and committing ourselves to the common good. Let's pray together. Lord God, all of us sometimes face the temptation to have grand plans with no idea how we're going to accomplish them. And so we pray that at the start of this year, individually with our New Year's resolutions, corporately as the church moves forward, that we will always take the time to do the groundwork, to do the research, to come to you in prayer, to look for your leading, to wait upon the Lord, and then to move forward in joy. In your name we pray. Amen.